0: Uh, just such a great church family we have. I just love praising God. Thank you for the worship team. I, I kind of wish we front-loaded the service like we do sometimes with the teaching so that you could enjoy the songs about light, just informed by the text we're going to study. You can be turning to 1 John in your Bibles, chapter 1 if you want or on your phones. You don't have to. We'll have it up here too. But I just think so much of 1 John is underline worthy. It's, it's one of my favorite books of the Bible. Uh, for one thing it's short it's like five chapters I can read it all in one setting and so could you and I'd love for you to do that maybe several times this summer that'd be awesome it also has my life verse in there that's just personal for me we'll get to that in a couple weeks Um, and I just relate uh, to John's the way he talks I think it ministers to my heart and then when I try to enter in to John writing to his loved ones that he's writing to, I I feel him there. I feel for you, really, how I think he felt for the churches that he was writing to. So I won't, I'll avoid the temptation to re-preach last week's intro. I really want to, but I won't because we need to move on, but I do want to remind you of the four reasons John says he is writing the book of 1 John, which is really a letter. First of all, it's to make those he's writing. Okay, so he's writing to his audience. They're in Asia Minor. 1 John wants these same things John wants for them, for you. So I put these in, in the first person for you, but he wrote to make their joy complete. He says that overtly. He he. He wrote this to keep them from sinning, to stop them from sinning and to keep them from sinning. That's why he wrote this. He wrote this so that they would have assurance, complete confidence of their eternal life, of their salvation beyond death. Because we live different when we're confident about that. We live with a total different demeanor and power and and attitude when we know deep in our gut that we are saved, that we have eternal life. It's not restricted to here. And then the last one, which you'll remember last week, is really the first one and the one upon which the others hinge. I just wanted to save it for last for the grand finale last week. And that is for you to have actual God contact, for you to experience, have an experiential relationship and fellowship with the Lord of the universe. He doesn't want you to strictly have an academic understanding of the Bible, of God. Christianity isn't like a, a project that you go to the ivory, ivory tower and merely study. He's not even interested in that. He is interested in his people. And 1 John is interested in you having and then maintaining regular experiential relationship, fellowship, friendship with almighty God. And you want that too, by the way, because that's going to be the only thing that can get you the other three things. There's just no way in this world to have complete joy. Not with everything going on in this world unless you're connected to something, someone out of this world. There's no way for you to stop the sinning you're doing and to keep the sinning that the enemy is going to be tempting you with in the future. There's just no way unless you're connected to a power that has done it before, that has come down here on the earth and made it through as a man without sinning. And if you connect to that, then you can do it too. You can keep from sinning. And that confidence how many things come in and disrupt our confidence that we're saved in the course of a day, rather, let alone a, a week or a, or a lifetime? The only way to maintain assurance that we're good is to be connected to that good that assures that. In an experiential way. Knowing the truth isn't enough. It's got to go six inches, the longest journey of your life, from right here to right here. And that doesn't happen except through an actual experienced relationship with God. And John wants his people to have that. Which must mean it's possible. So I want you to open up to that. That's what we're after this summer. So, with that, that aim clearly in mind, those four lofty goals, we're going to just read the next three verses in First John. This is how he begins. This is where he starts in his effort to accomplish these things. And he does two things here he's going to make a declaration of truth about God, and then he's going to make an application of that truth about God for us. Okay? And that's so that kind of charts our course. Now, before I read it, I went way back in the archives of my history. To, and I thought of a story that I want to reflect to you. Uh, this goes—I say—way back. My wife and I are celebrating 25 years of marriage this year, which is really exciting. So this was back when we were dating. So this is 26 or 27 years ago, and we went to a place called Enchanted Rock State Park. Some of you might have been there. It's down near Fredericksburg, I think. And, and Enchanted Rock is named that for this one feature. It's a kind of a wooded area. It's really pretty, but it's got dominating the landscape is this massive granite dome. It's like a titan lives under the earth and needed some space. And so it went, yeah, and lifted it up. And so there's this huge dome rock. And if you climb that rock, it's real smooth. And it's like, I, I feel like it's walking on the moon. It's like a planet has been embedded in the earth there. And it's, it's just this big, smooth dome, enchanted rock. Except for one area, there's this one area where the rock is split, and it's massive. So it's this massive crevice. And then down in, deck, down in there is a system of caves that you can go spelunking through. So you know where I was taking my girlfriend. We're going through there. So now, spelunking has got to be, of all of my experiences in my life, this is the darkest dark that I have ever experienced. Is going down into the earth, into a place where there is not any, not a singular pathway for any ray of light to come in. So, so we go over there and we're looking and we find a place where we can kind of climb down. And there's, there's a cave that we're going to start in and we're going to make our way through. And she's coming with me. And all we have is one of those dollar store plastic flashlights. Just one, but we're going. So she's just, She's still trying to impress me, so she comes. And so we, we go in, and, and uh, we crawl in there, and we start going, and this flashlight is also one of those that goes out. So it goes out, and you got to shake it, and then it comes back on. We're good, we're good. So we get in, and we go through a couple of little systems, and we're at this one spot, and I'm like, you good? Yeah, and it, it goes out, and I shake it, and I said... Okay, we're good. We're good. She, and she says, and this becomes a mirror to my life since then for the last 25 years. She says, Brian, I don't think this is a good idea. <laughs> I say, oh, no, no, we're good. Look, look, we can see. Oh, come on. She goes, no, I don't think I feel good about this. I go, okay, okay. You go on back. We can still see the sunlight kind of. And I shine the light to where she, she just goes to the entrance. It's just right over there. I'm just going to go a little farther. I won't go the whole thing, but just a little farther. And she goes, okay, okay which became a mirror to her life. And so uh, um, so I make my way through, and it's spelunking so cool because you never know where the next cave is and the shadow is kind of deceiving. It might be right there, and you end up going down there. It's under that rock, and you go. So I just made one more move, and I'm doing this. This is so cool, and the light goes out again. So no problem. It is not coming on. And I, I mean, there was no light. And I didn't know what no light was, not until this moment. This is my first time to ever experience zero light. Even when you close your eyes, your eyelids are not thick enough to give you the kind of dark that, that this darkness is, that is possible. Okay? I mean, it is like you're in the twilight zone. And, I mean, I froze. I froze. I mean, I remember doing this. It just didn't seem surreal. But I froze because there are rocks everywhere. And I can't see them. And if I hit my head in here trying to move, I'm like, okay, i got to get back. because Car- I mean, I yell for, Carrie! And she goes, hey, what's going on? I can hear her, but sound does not reveal space. It, I, she's just everywhere. I can't tell even what direction she's coming. I know that right there was my next cave. This was the one I came from, was up there. I reach down. You can't feel space either. You can only feel rocks. So I'm just telling you, I imagined I can get out. I'm not that far. I couldn't. I froze. I was lost. And I was scared. And I mean, Carrie was 15 feet away from me. But we might as well have been worlds apart because of how dark it was. And so this is when I, I mean, I'd been reading and teaching as a youth minister all these passages about darkness and the analogy that it is. But it was this moment that I learned a new concept of what it meant when scripture was saying we needed rescue from darkness. So to this, with that kind of in the background, here's what John has to say for us today. 3 verses starting in verse 5. This is the message John's talking. This is the message we have heard from him, that's Jesus. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie, and we do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, lost my spot, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Okay, so let's just walk through this, this is power packed stuff. There's a, this is po- three verses, but it's powerful. There's a powerful offer here. There's possibly a powerful rebuke here challenge for some of us, but mostly this is just a powerful offer. So the declaration that John makes that he got from Jesus is this, this is how he starts the accomplishment of his four purposes. God is light. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean that God is light? Now, it's, a, it's incredible when you go back, and I did, you go back to the New Testament and look at all the places where light is used as an analogy for the, the, the Christian life, for what the Christian offers the world, for the kingdom. It's, it's just amazing. It's in there. But what's John mean here? And my study of all of that and this book tells me he might have meant some other things, but he means at least these two things that I'm going to tell you this morning. And the first thing that he means is God as, when he says God is light, is that God is a guide. Okay, so just like light is a guide in some instances for us, that's a role that light plays, God is a guide. He wants to be a guide. He wants to offer himself as a guide. That's one of the things that he's saying when he talks about this. It's to figure out our direction. Our direction. We have lights like this that we know of. Um, we've got lighthouses, right, for boats. That's, that light is used in the storm as a guide. We have runway lights that, that's used as a guide for airplanes and where to. We've got the North Star, like, that's been there around for a long time, guiding people, orienting them so that they know where to go. That's what a guide is. It's to help us figure out where to go. So I got a call this week from a woman, and she was in tears. I could Hear her right away I said, "What's going on?" And so she unpacks her circumstances, some of them were of her own doing, but mostly they were some circumstances around her, and they have crushed her and she is crushed for one reason, and it came out in this way she said, "I don't know what to do it's a It's a terrible place to be, isn't it whether it's an epic kind of thing or a small thing, it doesn't matter. We don't like being dishonored. We don't like not knowing what to do. God wants to be your full-time solution to that. He wants to be your guide so that you always have that north star to look at and it's him so that you know what to do. So some of us fall into that category where we don't know what to do, but worse than that, because at least there's some humility and admission in that, is those who They know exactly what they're doing. They, they could tell you precisely what their north star was, what drives them, what explains them, what they're running after. But what they are running after is so epically mediocre. It's so less than, it's so small that it's like sad. It's sad. But they, they go after it boldly and confidently, right? And what do I mean by mediocre? Anything less than God. Anything less than God, even great things, if if is less than God, and so they are mediocre. They are not high enough to be the light of your life. Not money, not control, not a certain job, not ease of life, not right religious practices or belief. None of that. Only God. And so whichever category you're in, God says when He's declared His light, He's saying, I want to be your guide. He wants to be your guide. His offer is to guide you, is everything. And it's a whole other sermon series on how to use God as a guide. That's every sermon series we ever do. We're always trying to figure that out. But the second one that I want to spend the most time on is the second way John is using it. He's not just, God is light does not just mean God is a guide. It also means God is light also means that God exposes or or illuminates. Okay, just like light exposes or illuminates. There's a lot of power here. That's what light does, right? Light makes things visible. Light is not visible. Light makes things visible. That's what it does. Darkness on the flip side obviously does what? Hides it. Darkness hides things. Light's the solution to darkness, okay? And darkness hides things. Darkness creates secrets. that's that's what the Bible means when it talks about darkness so you know what would have happened if while I was sitting there frozen, lost, in the dark if I did finally get that flashlight on it would have illuminated everything and the rocks that were a threat and a danger to me moments before would just become the beautiful things of God's creation that I came down there to see light did that they didn't change light shining on that Changed it. The threats cease to be threats because of the light. It exposes, it illuminates. The light disarms threats. I had a brother, I met with a brother this week who. Uh, you know, we do ministry to the recovery community, praise God. We're so grateful for you and so amazed and inspired by your fight against addictions of all kinds. We're, we're all in recovery, so it's just some get more pressed than others. But I had one brother who had been sober from alcohol for almost a year, and because of some horrific, almost seems like evil strategic circumstances, he fell off the wagon. And so I wanted to get with him just to encourage him. But by the time I got to him, it was a couple days after he'd fallen he was already like full of joy and hope. He was okay. And, and I was like, what, what? You know, so as I'm just sitting there enjoying our fellowship and we're talking about that, and but, but he's doing pretty good. Well, it's because he has already been bringing that thing to the light since it happened for two full days. That's the light at work. You don't need to not sin to have hope and joy and the things of the kingdom. You need to keep it in the light. You need to put it in the light. And he had already been doing that. Darkness hides things. Darkness is not the thing. Darkness hides the thing. And that's where death comes. Light illuminates that. And takes sin. And takes anything that's a threat or a danger. And you expose it to the light. And it disarms it. It disarms it. This is a good time to go on to verse 6. Where it says, what. I dare you to tell me that you've never taken this verse as a threat. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live by the truth. This sounds harsh. This sounds difficult. This sounds, to the normal human ear, impossible. I had another brother call me this week who was struggling with my message from two weeks ago. We talked about kingdom righteousness and how that's granted, not earned, okay? That the Bible is a message of you're making it by grace or it's nothing, okay? It's grace or it's nothing. That's what your Bible teaches. But we have bought into, and I had everybody raise their hand if you've ever bought into a version of Christianity that suggests that that made you feel like you wondered if you've done enough to please God or you've done enough to get to heaven or you're doing enough, and almost everyone raised their hands that at some point they've done that. He was telling me he was struggling with that and that he'd done a little informal survey of his coworkers, asking them, Christian coworkers that that he asked them and said, seven out of ten of them still think this. They still think this. And I said, why? And he said, I'm going to tell you why, Brian. That's what I'm calling you about. Because of the Bible. Because Scripture seems to say it. And... And he said, so we took this verse that I was about to preach on. I read it to him, and he said, listen to that. If we claim to have fellowship with him, Brian, and I claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness. Brian, I still sin like I did today. And so if I claim to have fellowship with God, and I still sin, then I lie, and I don't live by the truth. That doesn't sound like a description of someone who is pleasing to God. A liar and someone who doesn't live in the truth does not sound like a description of someone who's going to heaven. What are you going to tell me? That that verse doesn't say that, Brian? And I said, that verse doesn't say that. He said, what? I go, pause, church, pause. Can you believe how easy it is for us to interpret scriptures that are packed with great, awesome, incredible news and we... Hear them in a way that is the exact opposite. Walk with me. I'll prove it to you. See, if we claim to have felt, this is not even talking about sin. This is not, this is, this is if, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself here. I'm getting excited. This is if, like John wrote, if you, if I'm in the cave, Carrie's right over there, and if, if I claim to have the flashlight on, but I still can't see anything, I'm lying and I'm not living in the truth. That's all that is. It's not about perfection. It's not about sinlessness. It's not about anything. It's about a claim. He's saying if you claim to live in the light, okay, but you're still experiencing darkness, okay, the hidden thing, not sin. He's not talking about sin. He's not talking about that at all. He's talking about secrets. He's talking about hiding your sin. He's talking about not exposing it to the light. He says if we claim to have fellowship with him, which we do, a lot of us. And yet we're walking in secrets, unilluminated life. There's parts of us that are unilluminated. Then we lie and we're not living in the truth. He didn't say then, you're not going to heaven. God doesn't love you anymore. He could have said that if that's what he meant. So stop interpreting it like that because it's not what he said. He's talking about your quality of life right now. Forgiveness is done. Now we're talking about you living in the light. You living without secrets. You living that kind of life. This is about exposing and illuminating darkness, putting light on sin to defang them. Not to forgive them. They're forgiven if you're in Christ. It's to defang them. It's not about being perfect. Listen, if you had no sin, you wouldn't need forgiveness. Forgiveness. Sin is what qualifies you for the gospel. Your sin qualifies you for this whole Christian thing. So stop it. Stop it. That's not what this is about. In verse 5, remember, it says God is light. In him is no darkness at all. That's not talking about how perfect God is. God is perfect. He is, but that's not what this is talking about. It's talking about him as light. The opposite of darkness. In that cave, there was no light at all. In God, there is no darkness at all. Imagine living like that. Would you, matter of fact, imagine living like that. Imagine having a life no secrets. None. Parents, your kids could go through your desk, your car, your office, under your bed. Your spouses could read anything on your phone, go to your history. Just imagine living a life Of no secrets. This is what he's after. And even if we have things that are shameful, they get defanged by living in the light. If you hide them, you keep them. You give them power. If you expose them to the light, they lose their power. And you might as well, Jesus, back in Matthew 10, a verse that I don't hear many preachers preach on, because it's so scary. He says, there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed. There is nothing hidden that will not be made known. See, so you might as well. You might as well. We're not talking about sinlessness, though. You can look ahead to next week, verse 8, where it says, if you claim to be without sin, you deceive yourself. So clearly we're not talking about sinlessness. We're talking about shamelessness. We're talking about no shame. No more shame. Shame is what really kills us. Not the sin, it's the shame. How great would this be? There's a guy that Jesus talks about at the beginning of John. He didn't, anyway, he was coming and approaching him. His name's Nathaniel. And this is the comment Jesus makes about Nathaniel. It says, When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false do you think he was saying he's morally perfect? Do you think he was saying Nathaniel somehow made it through life having never sinned and he wasn't struggling with any sin now? No. He's talking about something else. What? He's talking about what we're talking about. (sighs) Even the things I think I need to hide, I do not have anything to hide. Oh, wait, but you're a sinner? Oh, bulletin. You think God's surprised by that? That we're surprised by that? It's all that's in this room is sinners. But we are different, not because we don't have sin, but because we put the light on it. That's what distinguishes a Christian community. This is how I want to be described. There's Brian, in whom is nothing false. False. I don't have to be perfect for that. I just have to be honest. I had a, another buddy. This goes way back. He was in my men's group, our basement group. And I was sitting with him, and he was engaged to this girl he was crazy about. But he had some secrets, some st- stuff with drugs, some stuff with women, other women. That, and I said, well, you got to tell her. He's like, I'm afraid I might lose her. And I'm like, you might lose her. But you don't have her now. Your performance has her. Your mask has her. And your heart knows. Your heart knows. And that's why you're talking to me. Church, if you have a life that needs to maintain secrets, then you don't have the best possible life. You don't have Christ's life. This isn't a threat. This is an invitation. And it doesn't mean you go around sharing everything with everyone. You know. You know who it is that needs to know what. It's about you disarming sin. So there's two great promises in the third of these three verses here that are just spectacular. This is verse 7. He says, If we do walk in the light as he is in the light, then first we have fellowship with one another, and second, the blood of Jesus. His son purifies us from all sin. So if we live in the light, if we live without secrets, then he doesn't say if we live in the light, then we have fellowship with God. Isn't that interesting here? He didn't say you clean up your fellowship with God. God already knows. He says you have fellowship with each other. The true benefit of living in the light is all of a sudden you're friendable because you're real and you're honest. You remember in my... Uh, in In my spelunking cave, I'm sitting there. Carrie is 15 or 20 feet away, but she might as well be a world away. Why? Because the darkness, the darkness has made it impossible for us to even touch each other, let alone have intimate friendship and fellowship and relationship. Darkness does that. Darkness steals fellowship and relationship of all kinds and at all levels. Darkness does that. Even if you fake it, you're going to wear yourself out being tired and your heart's going to know it's not real and it will not satisfy like you're pretending it should. And so living in the light makes you open to real friends, real fellowship. God, you've already got that. It'll open you up to experiencing it, experiencing God through other people. That's what does it. So that's the first promise, is you can have relationships with others. And one last one, and this one's profound. He says, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, then the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. I can hear this guy calling me again this week. Brian, another verse. It says, if I walk sinless enough, then Jesus will forgive me of my sin. It's right there in Scripture. You're going to tell me that's not what it says. You read it out loud, and I'm going to say, that's not what it says. Isn't this crazy? I mean, you can read that like that, right? It's so effortless to read it in a dark way. No pun intended, okay? It's, it's, it's so effortless for us to read this as, as if it's condemning us. And we leave scripture and we do our daily Bible reading and we read 1 John and we're like, hmm, yeah, I'll go try harder again today, you know? That's not what it says. It's, it's not even talking about that. Once again, it says, if we walk in the light, With no secrets. As he lives in the light. As he is in the light. Then the blood of Jesus doesn't forgive you of your sins. You're forgiven. It purifies you from the sins. It helps my buddy not take a drink the next day after he fell off the wagon. It purifies the sins. It makes the person who lives with lies stop lying. When they bring it to the light. It helps cheaters stop cheating. Crooks stop thieving. (laughs) It helps sinners stop sinning. You can be purified of all that stuff. You're forgiven. You're forgiven and that's work enough, isn't it? Just to believe in that is work enough. But if you do the additional work of living in God, not as Savior, but as light, then not only are you forgiven, you'll stop doing it. And his goal in 1 John will work. It will keep you from sin. And it will stop you from sinning. This is such good news. Let me ask our elders and our ministers. Go ahead and just. They're going to just move around the room. Up in the balcony and around the room here. In case you need a touch here. One last little observation here. Just I think this is so, such a kind. I don't even think John's trying to be kind. But it is a kind way to think about this. Those of us who struggle with thinking we got to be good enough and get it right and be sinless or whatever. It says this verse, said, this verse says that the Christian walk, the Christian life is a walk. Do you see it? It says if we walk in the light. It's a walk. The Christian life is a walk. It's a journey. It's not a set of beliefs that you adhere to, as important as that is. Okay? It's not a certain set of religious practices that you get just right on Sundays. Okay? It's not the sacraments that you've involved yourself in to connect to Christ, as powerful and impactful as those are. The Christian life is a walk. It's a walk in the light towards the light. God is guide. God is illuminator. It is walking in a certain way towards a certain destination. Our shorthand around here is it is we're living life in Christ and like Christ. It's a walk. It's a journey. It's okay to stumble along the way. The flashlight can go out temporarily. It's a journey. It's a walk. The Christian walk. And it might mean today you need to make a walk to a friend. To a shepherd. You need to put the light on something. You won't, unless you're sick and tired being controlled by it. Darkness protects something, doesn't it? We keep things, this is why the practice of confession is, is a Christian thing, it's our thing. Confession, it's not something you do one time and you're done, it's a lifestyle. So we don't do that because we take our sin and we put it in darkness to protect something. We think we're protecting ourselves, from each other for sure but maybe even from God if we just keep it tucked away in the darkness scripture John says the only thing we're protecting is that sin that's it we're protecting that sin and the shame that it makes us low grade live with that will kill us but if you walk in the light sees in the light you can have fellowship with each other real true friends And Jesus will come down and take that sin that's already forgiven and purify it, purify you. This gospel, it is good news. And if it ever doesn't feel like it, then you're reading it wrong because it doesn't say that. Let's stand and let's sing. And if we can help you in any way, take your walk to one of us and we'll walk right with you.